Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Glad to be here. Uh, we've uh, been a busy week, like she mentioned, um, but nothing like that. So, awesome, good stuff going on, and it will continue to do so. And it's in these times of, um, you know, unsure that those things stand out the most. And uh, glad that we took time to acknowledge the wonderful things that are going on. We're going to be in Genesis 4 uh, this morning and talking a little bit about Cain and Abel and that story and uh, God's conversation uh, there. We're very similar to the conversation that he has with Adam and Eve. And so uh, I, I feel like I'm getting hit over the head with wisdom literature here recently. As a Bible teacher, you'd think, oh, I just love all of it. You know, it's all so great and awesome. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, Ecclesiastes is one of my least favorite reads of all time, right? I just, I don't like Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not much of a Psalm guy either. So thank you, Dr. Spears, for reading from Psalm because I need to hear those things. And uh, that's just another brick in the wall of, hey, you need to be paying attention to Psalms. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm getting the point or whoever out there is wanting me to learn Psalms. I'm going to start studying a little harder on those things. And, uh, you know, my lack of love for wisdom literature, you can be the judge on whether or not that shows up in my life or not. Uh, you know, I don't ask my wife that question because she might have uh, the answer I don't want. But uh, it's sometimes difficult to read Scripture. And I think that the first few chapters, the more I study of the Bible, they get difficult. Uh, because man, as we talked about last week, made their choice. They wanted this knowledge. And the problem with wisdom is a lot of times it comes with experience. And I think that we kind of talk about Solomon and his wisdom, and he prayed for wisdom, which I think we should all pray for, but we also have to understand the hook to that is that it often comes with experience, and it's not always great experiences. And so we have to learn and kind of take our lumps as we go. And I think most of us here are old enough to know and have experienced taking our lumps. And uh, I've taken quite a few of them, and most of them deservedly so. And so we get to chapter 4, and we see a result of rebellion. And, you know, there are some people, and the debate is there, is that did we even know what murder was? Was it something that we knew was even on the table when this happened? And this is not me making excuses uh, for what transpires. It's just one of those things, like how much are we learning? You know, you can almost look at this as, uh, you know, that, that baby that's learning to crawl and learning to walk, and mankind kind of made their choice that, in, in a lot of ways, we want to learn this on our own. We're going to do things the way we want to do them, and when we make that decision, guess what? The lumps are coming. Life in general are going to have their lumps. You can live the most guided life you can uh, by Jesus, and you're still going to make mistakes, and we're going to have to bear the consequences of those things. And, and the thing is, is we also bear the consequences of other people's mistakes. There's no hiding from that. But also when we make that bold statement, that prideful statement, we're going to do it how we want to do it, we also have to understand that there are going to be issues that arise. So we get to verse 1. It says, Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to, her, uh, to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. 
Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So in verse 1, we see this kind of represent chapter 3, where he says, you know, there's going to be this pain in birth, uh, but she acknowledges that I am a partner. You know, I, I, I do my part and God gives the increase, we might say. And so I've, I've been in partnership and creation with God. I have this son. Uh, and then you go on and, and you look at the Hebrew of the name of, of Abel. And I, I really think this is where we get into that, where the names change to protect the innocent. Because a lot of times, you know, you look at the story of Nabal later on, a foolish, you know, surely no mom is naming their kid that, right? And so it kind of reflects the story, and Abel's name is synonymous with vapor. You know, it's vanity. A lot of the, go back to Ecclesiastes again. Once again, I've told you all this has been haunting me for weeks now. Uh, you know, there's vanity that you, you can't put your hope in this life. It cannot be in what we accomplish here outside of what God establishes. And so we get this idea of when do intentions matter? Right? When do intentions matter? We live and, and work, I work at a school that we love donations, right? We love donations. We really like the donations that come with no strings, right? Just use this however you need to use it. Right? We like those. Those are preferred. But we'll also take the ones that say, okay, well, I'd like it to be used here. Well, it's your money. We're going to do our best to honor that. But there is a level of, hey, this one we really like. You, know, you just let us do what we want to do with it. There's a lot of freedom there. And that's what we prefer. Right? But we can't possibly know the intentions of man's heart. If somebody builds a hospital just to have their name on the sign, that doesn't negate the help that's done there, right? The lives that are saved. And we're not God, right? God knows the intentions of the heart. And so I grew up thinking, oh, it was because he gave of the field, not of the, the meat, right? Because later on, you know, but then you learn that you can also sacrifice those things. And so we start to weigh the intentions, and that comes into play. And you know what? We're not really given the intention. But we know somewhere along the line, it's not what it should have been. We've spent a lot of time studying from the prophets, and we see over and over again, God, make that statement of, I'm tired of your sacrifices because your heart's somewhere else. We see Jesus say, you know, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. We as human beings oftentimes get in a mess when we try to start weighing the intentions rather than the outcomes. And we have a battle in our, in our world today between meritocracy and you know, the background. And I think it is something that we need to struggle with. But the bottom line is, is we really only have the results to work with. And sometimes that's anxiety-driven. Man, we, we don't want to think about the results, really. We really don't want to think about the possible bad outcomes. But the beauty of hope in Jesus is the fact that whatever happens in this life, we know that God's going to make things right so when do intentions matter? Well, obviously we see there's something in this guy that shows some bad intentions. And I think depending on what day it is, Travis Creasy could be one of these guys. I think that's the point. I think that's what's driven home by this story. 
is that we all need to understand that sin is aggressive and it is crouching at the door at any moment to, to pounce. The other words in the New Testament, he's walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We need to be sober-minded. We need to think through these things. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to defeat those things, not because of our own power, but because of the power of God. Verses 5, uh, the end of 5, going into verse 6, it says, But he did not accept Cain as gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked. Why do you look so dejected? And so the question becomes, when we get surpassed, or we see the achievement of others, do we envy? Do we become jealous? Or do we try to emulate we try to take the best of the situation or the best of other people and go, okay, how can I make that work? And really, that's Jesus, right? We can choose to get mad at God and be angry, and our anger and our madness at God is not going to be bigger than Him. It's not going to shock Him. It's not going to scare Him. I think that's why one of the reasons the Psalms is so difficult for me to read because there's a lot of like awkward stuff in there. Like I don't know that I can say that to God, but it's shown up in my actions. I think there's a valve there to release pressure. It's called prayer. We see that in David. David is honored because he has that type of relationship. Remember, it's knowing. That that word know in the Hebrew in Genesis that we've just read several times over the last few weeks is this relationship that's open to God. God, I... I have these frustrations. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I'm surrounded by my enemies. But I know that you will shelter me. I know that I can lean on you no matter what. And so do we envy? There's one being talked about in the Bible who can be jealous. And that's God. God can be jealous because, well, He created it all. He alone is worthy. We live in a society that finds blame. doesn't matter what great things you've done. If you have this one blemish, you're going down. And every bit of your legacy goes with it. Who wants to live in that? Who wants to find their value in that? That's here today and gone tomorrow. And what we find in Genesis 4 is this great amount of equality. Hey man, you're going to get another opportunity. Don't let this one downfall define who you are. Whose choice was it to let this one failure define the rest of his legacy? And we read about it today. It was his. What are you going to do with your shortcomings and your failures? We today in in Christianity would tell you to take it to the cross. We have that wonderful opportunity that we honor every single Sunday and remember that through His sacrifice, we don't have to walk around with the guilt of the world. That yes, there is shame and there is guilt, but it's a guilt that leads to life and godliness, that there's always another opportunity to make it right. And if not, there's grace to be found. When do we get angry? And when and how do we express it? That could take us the rest of our lives. That in itself would be enough to keep us busy for the rest of our lives. You want to talk about true wisdom? The ability to express anger and offend none? 
you know, it's difficult. We see that, right? Social media, if there's anything that shows us that, it's that. How do we articulate in a way that uplifts people? We know the anger of man does not accomplish the will of God, but we also know there is a righteous anger. We see that in Jesus. And I really think it's tied to putting God as the priority. Who do we want to honor first and foremost? It's God. Verse 7, it says, You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Is there a greater definition of free will? Yes, this is an opportunity to do the wrong thing, but it's also an opportunity to come through in the clutch to do the right thing. You have another opportunity. So we see this, I might even say guideline, right? He didn't come out and say, don't do what you're thinking about doing, right? As a parent, that's what I want to do. I want to control every possible choice and every possible outcome. You know what frustration that brings? Who gets frustrated over that? Me. My kids don't care, really. I can make life hard for them. It just brings frustration to me. And so it's this learning process. It's amazing to me, a God who created it all, who knows how this is going to play out, gives him the option. And a big option. And unfortunately, he chooses wrong. And I don't even know if they knew what murder was. I don't even know what, if they knew what this anger would accomplish, but he gets enough here to go, hey, you've got a choice to make, and please make the right one. I want to forgive. We have a God who wants to forgive. Think about that. How many people in your life want to forgive? How many people in your life are looking for a reason to bring you down, to make themselves look better? Right? I have a middle school Bible class. Right? Full display. You want to talk about insecurity to the mass? Oh, man. It's, it's peeling off the walls when I walk in the room. It's just like, uh, you know. And there are people who take advantage of that. And they run with it. And I imagine that Dr. Rushing spends a lot of time dealing with that in his office. Right? The same issue. Now, hopefully, we're not going to have the same outcome. But it's really a core issue that's been in human beings since... Forever, we might say. Not in terms of how God might say. Do right. The other thing we find out in verse 7 is that sin is aggressive. And you can master it. It is controllable. And if it's controllable for this guy in Genesis, what does that mean to us who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit? That it can be an anger that is a righteous anger. We get into uh, verse 9 and we get the same interrogation. It's it's a complete echo of Genesis chapter 3. Afterward, after this attack and and murder, where is your brother? I think God knows. Where is Abel? Now once again, I think this brings into the idea, does he know this is going to kill him? Is that his intent to murder it's his intent to hurt. He, he, this anger. You ever seen somebody who doesn't know what to do with their anger? I see it. A few years ago, we had this issue of cutting, right? I mean, I'm sure it's not gone away. 
but it was in fad for years. I don't know what to do with this emotion that I have. And usually when they don't know what to do with that emotion, the, what they choose to do is not a good thing. So once again, I'm not making excuse here. He may have known exactly what he was doing. He may have had the intent to wipe him off the face of the planet. But I'm just saying that the, the lesson to us is, is this mastering of this emotion. There are not enough counselors in the world right now, <laughs> just be honest with you, because there's a lot of emotion running unchecked and people do not. Now, we can teach people book facts all day long, but if we don't teach them to master their emotions... A lot of that stuff is going to be pointless. I've seen people so mad at me, so mad at me they can't put a sentence together. I mean, they're, they're spitting, you know, which doesn't help because then I'm kind of laughing and that's not good either, right? So there's two emotions there that are unchecked and not helping the situation. And I think to some degree that's what we've got here. He's just so overcome with his anger that he strikes out at someone else. So afterward, he asked the question, where's your brother? Where is Abel? We get the understanding here that conscience is not enough. Conscience is not enough. Whether this is a snide reply to God or passing the blame, right? He gets that trait from his mama and daddy, passing the blame. Either way, the response is not the response that was necessary. Whether it was snide or whether it was I just simply don't think that's my responsibility as might be our response to a lot of things that God gives us. Well, that's just not my responsibility. Well, I said it is, so yeah, it is, right? We think that we can deny and we can shield and we can look the other way and I've done all those things. And let me tell you, the outcome is never what it could have been, what it should have been. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. I think that's why we have these lessons. Verse 10, we see the lasting effects. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Think of a story of a, a guy who is talking uh, to a classroom. You know, and it's a classroom full of people who had ancestors who had went through the Holocaust. He said, how many of you in the room as just a point, have lost someone, someone who's kin to you, went through the Holocaust, died because of it, or was affected in some way, and the whole room raised their hand except for a few people over here. And then he said, how many cures? How many ailments? And he listed a couple that you've been affected by, and everybody in the room raised their hand and said, we may never know how many of the cures to those ailments died in those camps. We have all been affected by sin. It is not my job to come into Genesis 4 and cast shade on any of these people. That's God's job to do. And it's not my job to come here and cast shade on any of you because as I've said, every one of these outside of murder, I have committed, although Jesus himself says, if you've ever talked badly about someone, yeah, and I've done that a lot. And unfortunately, I'll probably do it again. And so the cycle continues until Jesus shows up. And until the Holy Spirit, who is just as aggressive and way more powerful than our sin, shows up and says no more. 
This morning you have a tremendous opportunity. As we do every time we take a breath, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing that I'm offering you that you don't have every single day that you wake up and you live your life to commit yourself to Jesus more today than yesterday. If you're not a Christian, we've seen a great example over the last few weeks of young people giving their life to the Lord. And man, has it been awesome. It's things that help me get through every day to see things like that, to know that God is working 24-7. Even while we have to rest and take a break, He continues to work on the hearts of men and women around the world through pandemics, through hurricanes, through all those things. God is so powerful that in the darkest moment, when they think they've got Him, He comes out of the tomb and reminds us through the Lord's Supper that he's not in the tomb, the tomb is empty, and that he sits on the throne of God. If you want to encourage those that need him this morning, we're going to stand and sing a song, and that's your part, right? That does more probably than anything I've done up here. To hear those voices singing that God is awesome, God is amazing, God is always available, he's approachable because of what his son did. Or if there's something specific today that you need to make mention of, We would encourage you to do that. We're going to pass the microphone around and you have that opportunity. If you want to give your life to Christ, if you want to follow the example of these young people over the last few weeks, man, there would be no greater way to celebrate what Jesus did so many years ago than to do just that. Whatever your need may be, we encourage you as we stand and sing.